And the last thing people need is the federal government burdening them, you know, with more costs, making it harder for them to retain, hire workers. And as you said, implementing this is just very complicated. Certainly I welcome the support, but I want Michiganders to look at me, the person, not party, but what is James Craig going to do for the state of Michigan? They need to get their act together and, and figure out a way to accomplish something. Otherwise, 2022 looks like it could be an even bigger bloodbath than it might already be shaping up to be. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top story served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Big day in East Lansing last week when both ESPN's College Game Day and Fox's Big Noon Kickoff we're in town for the most anticipated college football game of the season when the undefeated Michigan Wolverines came to town to battle the undefeated Michigan State Spartans. MSU star running back Kenneth Walker III rushed his way into the Heisman conversation with 197 yards and five touchdowns en route to MSU's 37-34 win. MSU coach Mel Tucker, who's probably in line for an award or two himself this season, talked to Steve Courtney about his blue-chip running back on the Paul W. Smith show. It's, it's obvious when you see him play, um, it's obvious uh, how talented he is, you know, how, how good of a football player he is. He plays with toughness. Uh, you know, he can, he, can do, he can do it all. And, and um, you know, when you hear him talk, he, re- he really doesn't like to talk about himself. He gives credit to his teammates, the offensive line, the tight ends, the receivers blocking, the coaches calling the plays. You know, it's it's all about the team with him. And so, um, you know, certainly uh, everything, all the accolades that he's getting and all the recognition he's getting is well-deserved. Um, he's really proven it on the field. Also, our fine offensive line coach, Coach Cap, on social media uh, sharing this tidbit, uh, that K-9 got himself a nice NIL deal. What did he do? He spread it around to the big uglies up front, the O-line. That in, and of, that in and of itself, Coach, says a lot about the kid. It really does. I mean, that's that's who he is. He's like that every single day. I mean, what you see is what you get. Um, he's very authentic. Uh, he's team-oriented. He's very unselfish. Um, and, you know, he uh, he knows that the football is the ultimate team sport, and a lot of what he is able to do um, is he, he's able to get that done because of the, of his offensive line. And so that does not surprise me that he would do something like that. MSU is ranked number three in the first college football playoff ranking of the season. All eyes were on Virginia's off-year election Tuesday night, with many experts saying it could be a preview of both messaging and outcomes in the upcoming midterm elections in 2022. Republicans fared very well in a state that's traditionally blue and went to Joe Biden by double digits back in 2020, leading to many conservative outlets describing it as a bloodbath. So just how bad was it for the Democrats and what might it mean for Michigan in our next election? Guy Gordon breaks down the numbers and looks ahead with Professor Peter Trumbor, chair of the poli-sci department at Oakland University. Uh, but in Virginia, it was more than just the governorship. Uh, they lost lieutenant governor. Democrats uh, watched as Republicans took the attorney general's job. They regained control of the state House of Delegates. It was very similar to what happened here in 2018 when Governor Whitmer led uh, four statewide officers uh, into power here in Michigan. And yes, education and culture issues may have been the margin of victory here, but voters in exit polls kept citing the economy as the number one issue. And exit polls showed 
that voters trusted Youngkin, the Republican, more than McAuliffe, the Democrat, to be the steward of that economy. What does that say about the Biden agenda? McAuliffe underperformed with rural blacks. Youngkin outperformed Trump and Biden in 2020 when it came to white non-college women. He drew them in droves, a 12-point shift there. So what does it all mean, especially in a Michigan context? We welcome in the chairman of the Oakland University Political Science Department, Peter Trumbor. So let's let's take some, some takeaways in terms of winners and losers here, and let's start with progressives. A lot of Republicans today pointing the finger at them, along with some moderate Democrats, and saying, you're driving our party in the wrong direction. They're blaming moderates for not passing the social spending plan before the election. How much a hit did the progressive agenda take yesterday? Well, you know, I think it's interesting that when we look at the Democratic Party, we, we, I think we have to realize that it, there really is no such thing as the United Democratic Party. Um, they are split in these factions that, that tend not to get along. And I, I think what we saw, especially if you, look at, if you look at Virginia, you know, I think McAuliffe made a big mistake um, as he was moving towards the end of the campaign and really sort of putting himself on the side of the kind of the, the, the progressive wing of the party, trying to nationalize the election in Virginia, uh, trying to run against Donald Trump, who wasn't on the ballot there, and whom Youngkin, I think, wisely made a point of, of not – you know, tying himself to too closely. You know, I think the, the, the issue there is that the party has fundamental problems of, of unifying and, and getting things done when it manages to win office. And until they resolve that, I think we're going to see continued frustration on the part of, of Democratic voters. And I think we're going to see continued frustration on the part of, of independents who really would just like to see government work. Right. So I guess that then the extension of that is what does it mean for Biden's economic agenda, they couldn't get it done before the election. Now they've got what appears to be and what some want to interpret as a repudiation that it went too far. Yet on this very day, Nancy Pelosi adds yet another benefit into the mix with with family leave. On the Senate side, they're working on prescription drugs. Uh, Dad, Dad always said, you know, when you find yourself in a hole, put down the shovel. Are, are they feel, failing to heed the message yesterday? And what might the be- message for the Biden uh, team be? You know, I think the, the message for, for the Biden administration and, and for the Democratic leaders in Congress is they need to pass something. Uh, now, you know, the, the policies that are, are in these packages are, in fact, widely popular. Um, the problem is the, there, there is such a purity test um, among the progressive caucus yes. in, in, in Congress um, and by the same token, you know, you've got two key senators who seem bound and determined to block anything that does not meet their specific demands that I don't see them being able to bridge some of these gaps in the way that voters expect. So, you know, you would think that this would tell them that if they want to have any hope of getting anything done before 2022, when Democrats are likely to lose both houses of Congress, uh, they need to get their act together and, and figure out a way to accomplish something. Otherwise, 2022 looks like it could be an even bigger bloodbath than than it might already be shaping up to be. Well, in in many ways, I mean, when you look at it, that last night was was a a bloodbath on a a much smaller scale. Um, And and let me ask you something in in terms of that. Can this work to some degree to the Democrats' favor? In 1972, when McGovern got swept away in a landslide, they did recalibrate. They came back with better candidates. We had the Clinton years, the Blanchard years, things like that. 
is this something that they can still learn from and and reconnoiter or will the progressive wing let them well you know i think that 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 the two camps of the democratic party are drawing opposite lessons from what happened yesterday The, the progressives are claiming that this is evidence that that the democratic party isn't going far enough the moderates are arguing that they've gone too far and until they I think can manage to figure out what the real lesson here was. They're they're going to stumble. Okay. I think the reality is is that um, any strategy for the Democrats that's premised on the idea that we can continue to whip up at the excitement of our voters by holding the specter of Donald Trump over their heads, I think that 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 last night, you know, proved that that's not going to be a winning strategy moving ahead. Uh, unless We're Trump watching. comes back and, and and inserts himself directly, in which case that would be a huge benefit for the Democrats. Well, and let, me, let me get to that. Yeah. So what is the Republican takeaway there in terms of how you manage the Trump conundrum? Glenn yeah. Youngkin seems to have hit on the sweet spot. But will would, it work here in Michigan? That, I think, is a is a bigger question mark, because, you know, the a, a number of the, the Republicans running for governor are, are very firmly, uh, openly Trumpist. Um, Craig has not really distanced himself in quite the same way. I think the Republicans mm-hmm. in, in Michigan are still uh, all in for the sort of election fraud, you know, rigged election narrative, which I'm not sure is going to really pay off for them moving forward. So, you know, I think that there isn't a Youngkin type candidate who has currently stepped up to to try to contest uh, with, with Governor Whitmer. And so I, I think that uh, that there are lessons to be learned there, but I don't think the Michigan Republicans necessarily are learning them. And one of those Republican candidates who's going to have to navigate how much to accept Donald Trump's endorsement and how much to hold him at arm's length is former police chief James Craig. He gives his thoughts on Virginia's red flip and talks about his meeting with former President Trump to Paul W. Smith. You know, people are sick and tired. They're sick and tired. And, and when we look at the Virginia election, I mean, who's the true stakeholders when we talk about uh, – our, stu- our, our children in schools, it's our parents. How come we're not talking about a student-focused approach as opposed to uh, addressing these special interests? Enough of this. People are sick and tired of these few radical socialists on the far left of the party uh, that's driving the agenda. Americans have spoken out, Paul W., and yeah, they have. Continue to speak. People are not understanding my concern about downplaying what Glenn Youngkin was saying and his campaign. He downplayed his any relationship with Donald Trump. He never mentioned Donald Trump's name. Uh, Terry McAuliffe kept bringing it up, trying to make that the issue. But, you know, it occurs to me that there was a much ballyhooed meeting between you and Donald Trump, and we never heard another thing about it. Whatever happened there? Oh, we had a good meeting, uh, as I've, I've said, and uh, the president will make his decision. Um, he's not made a decision on, on, on who he's going to endorse. I've also said that certainly I welcome the support, but I want Michiganders to look at me, the person, not party, but what does James Craig bring? What is James Craig going to do for the state of Michigan? And frankly, I've been battle-tested. And I'm not just talking about last year. Uh, I put a lot of emphasis on what it means to be a public servant, a public servant, an individual who understands we serve people. We don't serve self. We don't serve special interests. We serve the people. And I'm going to continue to emphasize that 
and will continue to drive that message out because we need change and enough of this. We, as a, a country, we're in trouble, and the moderate Democrats, if they haven't learned anything uh, from this cycle, uh, they need to speak up, speak out against the progressive arm of their party, and if they don't do it, they're complicit. They're complicit. The Biden administration and the Occupational Safety and Health Administration announced a national COVID vaccine and testing mandate that will go into effect January 4th. Under the new rules, businesses that employ 100 people or more will be required to have their entire workforce vaccinated or undergo weekly testing. Republican Congressman John Molinar introduced legislation that would prohibit the Department of Labor from using funds to enforce the mandate, and he spoke with Kevin Dietz. Even last J- July... The Biden administration said a vaccine mandate is not the role of the federal government. Uh, there's nothing in the Constitution that gives the president the authority to make employers do this to their employees. It's a huge federal government overreach. And my legislation would prevent uh, the federal government in the area of OSHA, as you mentioned, uh, from implementing a federal vaccine mandate. Why this is important is we're already facing a labor shortage. People are, uh, it's difficult for businesses to find employees. uh, And people are walking off the job around the country as they face these vaccine mandates. And we just can't afford that. The federal government's already been involved supporting Operation Warp Speed, which I'm a supporter of, promoting the vaccine. But this federal mandate is simply uh, goes far too much in terms of government control, the federal government controlling our lives. Shouldn't we be able to trust people to uh, go out and get vaccinated? And if they're not to uh, test and wear masks and, and, and socially distance. And, and it, I mean, when, when you, when you bring the government in to, to sort of police all of this, it creates a lot of problems for, uh, for the employees, like you mentioned, but also for employers who have to somehow police this thing. You are absolutely right. And people are tired of the mandates, the requirements. Uh, we want to give people the best available information based on good science on how to protect themselves, their families. We've made the vaccines widely available at no cost. We've made personal protection equipment available for people. And uh, at some point, you just have to say, let's trust the American people, give them the information they need. But we are a country based on freedom, not top down, one size fits all federal government control. It would be really hard to uh, get employees to test on a regular basis the way this mandate is asking. It would also be expensive. Uh, It would be time consuming uh, for for people to do this where they do it on the job. Uh, You know, I mean, and how it just it just really seems to complicate things to to have the government be looking over all of this uh, and then issuing fines and and who are they going to have go through all of this information to figure out if if the rules are being followed or not that's right and the last thing people need is the federal government burdening them you know with more costs making it harder for them to retain higher workers and as you said implementing this is just uh, you know very complicated it's not something the federal government should be doing And uh, at the end of the day, you know, they're saying now it's 100 employees. There's nothing that prevents them to going to smaller businesses and creating more uh, burdens for people who are just trying to keep their heads above the water after going through uh, these challenging last few years.
as you look at this, uh, you don't see this necessarily just a straight up and down vote by party. You think that you can take this individually to the various uh, lawmakers and, and perhaps sway enough to get this passed. I think as more legislators, more members of Congress hear from their constituents about this burdensome mandate and how it, it's uh, harming their lives, um, I think there could be great pushback on the Biden administration uh, as they try and implement this, because I think it's going to be a disaster as they try and implement this. And we ought to find a way to encourage the best science, uh, make information available to people, but not have a one-size-fits-all top-down federal mandate. And I'm hoping that the Biden administration would come to that conclusion. You know, right now they're focused on these trillion dollars of spending and they're kind of in a different bubble um, but uh, as they rethink some of this, uh, I hope they'll hear from a lot of people. Green Bay Packers All-Pro quarterback Aaron Rodgers found himself in both hot water and the NFL's COVID protocol when he tested positive for coronavirus, despite saying this during training camp. Yeah, I've been immunized. No, this was not a breakthrough case. Rodgers never got the vaccine. The 2020 MVP had some questions to answer since he's claiming he was immunized and was not following the league's protocol for unvaccinated players. Rodgers broke his silence Friday afternoon on the Pat McAfee show, and the album crew broke down the tape. First of all, I didn't lie in the initial press conference. Uh, during that time, it was a very, uh, you know, witch hunt uh, that was going on across oh, the no. league where everybody in the media was so concerned about who was vaccinated and who wasn't and what that meant and who was being selfish and who would talk about it and what it meant if they said it's a personal decision they should. He was on a, a podcast. But, yeah, yeah McAfee. McAfee. Yeah. yeah, okay. So and, he uh, didn't lie, but he didn't tell the truth, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, and, and this Pat, Ms. Pat McAfee, a former player. Yeah, uh -huh, yeah. So he's yeah. he's not, he's hardly throwing right. the hardballs. No hardballs, yeah. softball city. Yeah. Okay, so Underhand. here's more kind of. I'm not, uh, you know, some sort of anti-vax flat earther. Um, I, I am somebody who's a critical thinker. Uh, you guys know me. I march to the beat of my own drum. I believe strongly in bodily autonomy. And the ability to make choices for your body, not to have to acquiesce to some woke culture or crazed, you know, group of individuals who say you have to do something. Now, I have no problem with the philosophy of right. it. He just still hasn't explained why he lied, right. <laughs> which he did. But the woke, Mitch, it's not like he had, he could have just said he didn't take it and there's different protocols. It wasn't like he was getting kicked out of the league or something if he didn't take the, the vaccine. So he said this woke protocol. That was just what the, the league offered. It wasn't a woke protocol or, or a, a woke thing. No, unlike, unlike firefighters right. or police officers, right. he's right. not going to lose his job right. he just if he doesn't protocols. get vaccinated. But here he's, he's obviously trying to play both sides of the mm -hmm. fence. He doesn't want anybody to get upset with him or be criticized, so he doesn't say he's not vaccinated. Vaccinated, but now that he's been outed, he's like, "Oh well, I didn't need to say anything because I don't have to answer to anybody." Well, no one is asking you to answer to anybody, but you were asked a question and you answered to nobody because you lied. Right. You know, you you, you obfuscated deliberately, and he did it deliberately. Mm -hmm. Of course, if, when someone says, "Are you vaccinated?" His answer should have been, "No, I'm not vaccinated. Uh, I choose to do my decisions for my own body." Just like he said there, he didn't say any of that. I heard the 
the quote, I don't know if you, you've got it there, Blake, from, from a few uh, months ago. No, he said, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, I'm, I'm immunized. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's interesting, this situation, so many people uh, talking about different things. He just, like, rambled on. Exactly. He, knows, he knew exactly what he was being asked. Now, you knew that it couldn't just stop there because if he stops <laughs> there— yeah. Then, then he's open to criticism about, well, we're a woke culture. You're criticizing woke. The woke culture is going to criticize him, right? So he adds, oh, by the way, did I mention? <laughs> it was simply the fact that I have uh, an allergy to an ingredient that's in the mRNA vaccines. So on the CDC's own website, it says, should you have an allergy to any of the ingredients, you should not get one of the mRNA vaccines. So those two are out already. Okay. Okay, first of all, it could have gotten the J&J vaccine. Yeah, exactly. Secondly, uh, okay, why didn't you say that? Exactly, just say I'm allergic to it. I'm immunized. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You've got to find that quote, uh, Blake, because because we have to just put that on a hot button. Uh, Yeah, I'm immunized. Yeah, I'm immunized. (laughs) So um, then it was, uh, let's see, move down here to... Joe Rogan. Okay. Then he then he offers he offers yeah he offers the fact that a uh, yeah besides the fact that I'm allergic, (laughs) I've also been taking information from Joe Rogan. Cut fourteen here. I'm forty hour forty eight hours in, and I consulted with a now good friend of mine, Joe Rogan, after he got COVID, and I've been doing a lot of the stuff that he recommended. In his podcasts, and you know, on the phone to me, and I'm going to have the best immunity possible now, based on the 2.5 million person study from Israel. Rogan care. The people who get COVID and recover have the most robust immunity. Ah, Rogan therapy. Yeah, Rogan therapy. Uh, Rogan therapy. I thought it was Rogaine. Yeah. Yeah. My Rogaine. hair has never looked better. <laughs> Unbelievable. So he's got access to the best doctors in the world. Oh, yeah. Doctor his medical treatment is diagnosed by a podcast. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And finally, in case you weren't going to be on his side there, if Joe Rogan didn't get you on his side, if his the fact that he's allergic or says he's allergic to something in the mRNA, even though there's another one available, which is the one that I took, uh, even uh, if he says, uh, uh, you know, my doctor told me and all the rest, then he always he's got this one. Let's get Martin Luther King Jr. involved in it. <laughs> Cut 16. The great MLK said that you have a moral obligation to object to unjust rules and rules that make no sense. In my opinion, it makes no sense for me. I test every single day. Every single day. <laughs> yeah, right. It makes King no said, sense for me what? Right, right. And Martin Luther King said after that, take the damn shot. <laughs> <laughs> They'll do it for Podsui this week. For full interviews or anything else you might have missed, go to thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.